9 through 20. And so if you're using the Bible there in the seat in front of you, uh, we're going to be on page 398. 398. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 through 20. Let's begin just by reading the text. This is what the word of the Lord says in Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Nehemiah writes, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat and Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, the servant, heard this, it, pleased, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. And then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode, and I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up by night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so I returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshev the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us, despised us, and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. God bless the reading of his word. So we continue in this story of Nehemiah returning to Jerusalem, this cupbearer of the king, Artaxerxes, Hearing of the distress in Israel. Hearing specifically of, of the distress and burden there in Jerusalem as, as a people are broken. They are lost. They are unprotected. But not deserted by God. See, Nehemiah has constantly seen and cried out for God to restore his people. To answer the promises that he's already given through the prophets to hold fast to those who would return to him. He's set out with the blessing of the king, with the provision of the king, to do the work that is ahead of him. And now in, in chapter 2, verses 9 through 20, we see that Nehemiah has arrived in Jerusalem and is beginning the work. But what's interesting about this is that Nehemiah doesn't just arrive in town, back up the truck, there from, from the forest and say, all right, guys, get to work. But instead, he, he pauses to know what he is getting into. He pauses not only to, to recognize who is in front of him, 
but also the state of the walls before he moves into action. And we, we see over and over and over again is that God has put in Nehemiah a heart for this good work. And where God has called us to a good work, that we can also trust in his strength to endure opposition. So let's look again at the text, just starting at, at verses 9 and 10, uh, as we are witnesses of God's work. This is what we see. It says that he came to the governors of the province beyond the river. He gave them the king's letters that he had requested, as, as Bill took us through last week. And uh, he come and says, this is what I, I am here to do. I am here with safety. We see that he even comes with a royal guard, that Nehemiah is not being sent as, as just uh, any tourist or any traveler, but instead is, is the commission of a royal governor. And so as he's going into this place, as he's coming into his homeland, he is coming alongside ones who are sent by the king. They may not share Nehemiah's heart for Jerusalem. They don't share his concern for the walls, but they would see Nehemiah poured out by God. That here, these armies, these horsemen, these officers are going to witness what God is doing through Nehemiah. Notice we have a continued protection here that he is sent with officers and horsemen that God's good hand is still evident in this space. He doesn't just say, Nehemiah, go, my angels are with you. No, he actually sends protection from the king that the world is watching. These are, these are not Jews. These are not people of Israel. These are not the people of God. And yet they will see what God is concerned. In the same way, we are so often surrounded as though we are in a fishbowl, that the world is watching us. Even just mentioning that we have uh, the Southern Baptist Convention next week, there will be countless reporters there. It will be televised in, in part. Why? Because in many senses, it's dysfunctional. It's the largest uh, business meeting in the world, uh, governed by, by democratic pra practices and processes, and it is kind of fascinating if, if that's kind of your thing. But even more than that, I, I think there are questions as the world is looking on. In the same way that the world is looking on to us as a church and to you as a believer, people want to know, is this dysfunctional hypocrisy for those who claim Jesus? Or is there a consistent and winsome goodness for those who call themselves little? Nehemiah is surrounded here by, by those that do not call him the same God as him. They're seeing what he's going to do. They're seeing how he's going to respond and even respond to opposition. There are people that are looking on to you in your life, in your workplace, in the ways that you speak, the ways that you, you post on social media, the, the ways that we live out our faith as a church here in our community. And they want to know, do they actually believe what they say they believe? These are the first witnesses of God's work. In this passage, we also see a second set of witnesses. Those who are also outside of the people of God. Those who are also outside of this work. But they are not commissioned by the king. They are not following orders. They are not for Nehemiah. Rather, they are are opposing him. That as Nehemiah is moving in Jerusalem, we begin to see some of the opposition that he will face. 
says Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite. Later we see Geshem as well, that we see that this group of neighboring governors are displeased that Nehemiah would seek the welfare of the people of Israel. They're, they're upset that he's there. They're upset that he is seeking to do good in this place. They desired no good for this people. Rather, they probably feared that they might lose some of their power. They might lose some of their influence or control over this place. Isn't that so odd that here Nehemiah has heard of the, what has happened there in the walls? And what happens? He, he falls down in chapter 1 and he weeps. He, he's grieved. It, it leads to him up to months of, of praying and, and giving up the courage to, to speak to the king and to go and seek the welfare. And here are these other governors closer to the situation, closer to the grief, closer to the loss. And they're not grieved. They're not weeping. They're not upset. In fact, it seems that they are delighted to see this suffering. It seems so so backwards to us. Why, why do they not desire the same thing? My mind goes to uh, Tom Hanks in, in Forrest Gump, right? He's, he's there in, in Vietnam. Uh, the, he's being attacked, and his platoon, they say, run, Forrest. He comes out. He gets on the other side, and he says, all of a sudden, I was all alone, and that wasn't good. So what does he do? He says, oh, i got to go find Bubba. He's got to go find his friend. And so he continues to go back in, and, and there's someone else saying, Forrest, help me, help me, help me. That they're in distress, they're in pain, they're injured. And he, so he picks one after another, picks them up, throws them on his back, takes them out into safety, and sets them and all of a sudden he comes to his lieutenant. And, and you know, Lieutenant Dan, he's already given his backstory. He comes from a, a history of parents and fathers and grandfathers that have died in wars. And he thinks, this is my destiny. That he's already been blown up and he's calling in an airstrike that is going to end his life and, and take over this area. And Forrest takes him up and he says, no, put me down. I need to die here. And he's yelling, stop it, stop it. Leave me, leave me, leave me. And Forrest saves his life. And later we see that he's grateful for it. But how in, in that moment, how similar is this to Sanballat and to Tobiah? To, to these men who, he is coming in to save lives, to restore the broken, the, the tragic. And they say, leave it. We are displeased that you are here. We know, of course, that this is not responding to, to napalm or to bullets, but instead to the will of that in our world, in our culture, the gospel is offensive. That there are those who want no part of it. There are those who despise the church for even existing. In part, they despise that we are seeking the good of others. How, how dare you say that my works aren't good enough? How dare you say that that is a false religion? Well, you need to be more tolerant. But instead, we see what Christ has said of us cannot save, that we are bleeding out, and only the gospel will save. Only the gospel will del deliver. But for those that have power, for those that have influence, that would cost them their autonomy. That would cost them their power. And so instead, they would cling to worthless works. But they, too, will witness what God is doing. There are those in the world that are opposing the kingdom of God. And yet 
God's word tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There are those that are looking on and they don't really have skin in the game. They don't really have a dog in the fight. They don't care. And yet even they will see the goodness of God and many of them will be saved by the witness, conviction, and testimony of those that are faithful to what God has called God has called us to a good work. We trust in that. We trust in his strength as those living faithfully before witnesses. And so Nehemiah is surrounded by this uh, cloud of witnesses, not in the sense of, of those that have gone before him, but by those outside that are looking on to see what he might do. So what does he do? Once again, he doesn't back up the trucks. He doesn't unload the wood. He doesn't begin work. Instead, he starts by inspecting the walls. Verses 11 through 16, uh, we see that he is beginning to to describe this process. And if you have a a Bible uh, with a map in the back, you can turn back there and begin to see uh, some of what this looks. You see the gates labeled as he describes going out there on the, the animal that he's riding and then moving along from this gate to that. Uh, and it's just this picture of him moving along the southern tip of the, the place there in Jerusalem. And he's moving around the city walls and he's, he's getting a, a feel for where is it burned, where is it attacked, where is the rubble, where does it need to be strengthened, what needs to come first. That he begins by this patient planning to see where the biggest need is here in and it's fascinating to see that when even Nehemiah has asked, what, what is happening there in Jerusalem? What, what, is, what is happening in Israel at large? His, his brother is bringing word. He, he didn't wait for progress or he didn't look on the bright side. Oh, Jerusalem's walls are, are, are burned down, but it sounds like Ezra's been there for a while. It sounds like, like some good things are happening. Let's, let's look on the bright side. He doesn't rush in and announce his plans he doesn't say, well, everything else is okay. Let's, let's just get to that when we can. Instead, there's so many of us that we look at the things in our life, we look at what is happening in the, the kingdom, or we look at what is happening in our city or in our hearts, and we look at the bright side. There are those that, that don't know Christ that we would describe as, as a positive people, that they, they see the things around them, they're encouraged, they're even doing good things. Of, of Jerusalem, the, the center part of, of their kingdom, their, their heart itself. The walls are broken down. The gates have been burned. They cannot wait for progress to just come. In 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. was in Birmingham, Alabama. He was there at the invitation of the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights. And he was arrested. He was arrested for, for planning a, uh, a sit-in, a, a direct action of nonviolence. And while he was there, there were those in that city, pastors and preachers among them, who described what he was doing and why he was there as uninvited, unwise, and untimely. Sitting there in, in the jail... He he writes this letter uh, from the Birmingham jail responding to these 
uh, men and women that have, have described him as unwise and untimely, talking about those that are just wait for it to change. Things are, are getting better. After explaining why he is there and, and the ways that they were going about it this way, he says, he says, human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and persistent work of men willing to be co-workers with God. Without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. The, the call to wait he says that if we just wait, the progress never just happens. But we should be willing to be co-workers of God, to be with him in what he is doing. Not just praying and not just sitting here. It's as if we, we lean on our shovels and say, man, God, I wish you would dig a hole. God has, has given us what we need to be, to be channels and vehicles for his kingdom in this world. That we would be willing co-workers with him expecting him to, to do the work himself. And so Nehemiah patiently plans. And he plans for action. That he has a, a thorough examination, looking to every part that has been destroyed. He goes from one gate to another, from, from one pool to the next, understanding what is here, the full picture of the brokenness that is around him. It, it's been 140 years since Nebuchadnezzar destroyed these walls. the cost. He understands the task before him. He has to address his heart before he can address these walls. One thing that, that King lays out in his letter to the Birmingham jail is, is that they have trained for this. That this, these sit-ins for, for nonviolence, they didn't just invite anyone and everyone who would, who would come and participate. Instead, those that were invited had to sit in training seminars, uh, what, they, what they called self-purification. They had to know what they were getting into. They, they were committed that these were non-violent sit-ins. And so they, they said, when you go and you, you protest this injustice, you protest what is happening here, are you prepared to be beaten? Are you prepared to be jailed? Are you prepared to be like a lamb led to the slaughter and not to respond with violence. To ready your heart for the work that is here. This thorough examination of, of what is before us is to say that uh, will we be co-workers with God? That we would inspect the walls around us. To inspect the, the state even of our own hearts and of our church. To say where are gates burned? Where are, are the walls crumbling? Where are we out of step with what Christ has called us to do and to be? And that understanding, we would move to action. Let's look at verses 17 through 20 again. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. I told them that the hand of my God had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise and build. 
This book is not the book of Nehemiah building a wall. It would be significantly longer if it were. Nehemiah instead is sent by God to lead his people, to lead those that are called by his name, to offer this call to rebuild. What does he he say to them? He says, you see the trouble that we're in. This happened 140 years ago. No one alive in this time had seen the walls as they were. And yet, they understood the situation of reproach. Not simply that they were unprotected. Not simply that they were derided. But that the reputation of God was at stake in the city. So they affirmed and drew together. That he calls them to them. He, he says how God has led him here. He says that the king of Syria himself has, has stamped the work, has provided for it, has footed the bill. And they respond, let us rise up and build. There's this affirmation of the community which strengthens our faith. Matthew Henry describes it in this way. He says, by stirring up ourselves and one another to that which is good, we strengthen ourselves and one another for it. He's saying by by coming together and saying, we will do this thing together. He says that our faith is is personally strengthened, but so are those around us. That by committing together and covenant and work of what God is doing and building here, that not only are, are we strengthened, encouraged, and built up, but those who are around us are as well. That this call to the Christian community is a call that is word followed by action. That we would put our hands to the work, not just as those who are in leadership, but all those who are called by the name of God. That the church is a people. That this is what we have agreed together when we we come into membership in this place or into any local church. That our our covenant has, has decided this is the work that we are doing. These are the walls that we are building. This is the care that we are going about. rise up and build. Not Nehemiah, that sounds great, good luck. Not, yes, I'll pray for you. But let us rise up and build. And even as they rise to build, this vocal opposition comes again. Once again, Sambalot and Tobiah and now Gershom as well, or Geshem rather, uh, they come and they despise them, they jeer at them, and they say, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? These outsiders, even these, these officials and governors are coming in to mock the work, to mock what they are doing. They missed its purpose, they missed its effect, and they respond with lies and a sink, seeking to, to delay. How do they do this? Both false accusations. They, they ask, are, are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah doesn't stop and say, oh, hurry, guys. We, we can prove this wrong. Let's pull out the, the stamp. Here's the seal. Here's the supplies. Here, here's everything else. Here's this response to this fear of failure. Instead, they just continue on in the work. He responds by saying that, that God is the one who would prosper. He doesn't answer the accusations In the second century, Christians uh, were accused of similar sedition. 
that they were a, a people that were following a new king, this king named Jesus. And so those in society around them that did not like them began to come to the officials, began to come to Caesar and say, listen, they're worshiping a new king. They're rising up to, to oppose what is happening here. And so Tertullian and others are, are responding with apologetics of just saying, listen, Christianity is the greatest thing to ever happen to this country. Why? Because they're more faithful citizens. They're, they're nonviolent. They're generous. They're caring for others. And there's this confusion abounding about what they actually are and believe and do. But the greatest apologetic are not the words of Tertullian. It's not the, the words or edicts of his life. It's the witness of the living itself. It's the way that these Christians responded there in Rome. They followed a new king. Notice how Nehemiah responds once more. Verse 20, I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and build but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. He said the success is not our own. It's purely what strength is not our own. It's purely what the Lord would do. There's no defense here. It's purely what God would do. Theologian Upanga Wianzana says this. He says, Nehemiah refused to be, become involved in an argument with his opponents. He simply stated his case and left the outcome to God. Nehemiah was not called by God to come and oppose Sanballat. Nehemiah was not called by God to come and argue with Tobiah. Nehemiah was called by God to build the walls of Jerusalem. That our portion, our right, and our memorial here are not walls. They're, they're not a city. It's not a nation. It's God himself. That God has called us. God has called you to build his kingdom. God has, has called you to rest in his strength, to leave the outcome to him, but to be active participants in his work. God has, has called you to build in whatever state of life you're in. If, if you're married, God has called you to build in your marriage. If you're single, that God has, has called you to build in your singleness. That God has called you to build in your work. God has called you to build in your friendships. God has called you to build in your growth and discipleship. That we would not come to the saving knowledge of Christ and say, that's great, I can't wait to get to heaven and to stay at the place where we were brought in. But instead that we would build and grow and mature on the solid rock. And so this is the question that, that you get to ask yourself, that we asked the, the kids earlier. Where is God calling you to build? What, what is he calling you to do for him? How is God calling you to faithfulness and good work? Where is the good hand of God upon you? Wherever 
understand the word. Examine your own heart. Expect opposition. But trust in the strength of God to bring about results. Father, we, we confess a total reliance on you. Lord, that you alone have the power to build your kingdom. But Lord, thank you for inviting us in as co-workers of that work. Father, we ask that for those of us who look to the walls of our heart and see them burnt and broken, Lord, we see the need that we have for Jesus to build that up in us. Lord, draw us near to you. Let us respond as sinners in need of a Savior. Father, for those of us that are in Christ and look out on the world, Lord, that we are, we are grieved when walls are falling. Lord, we see where you are calling us to build. Lord, let us ask those questions. Lord, let us look out at what is around us. Let's trust in your strength. Lord, show.